Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. We are continuing our summer series on the book of Psalms, and we like to do this every summer uh, because uh, these Psalms uh, help orient our hearts. And in fact, it's been particularly helpful this summer uh, to do this series because the Psalms are designed to put words to the cry of our heart. And today you might be crying out, but you don't have the words to take that cry to God. Or maybe you don't feel like you have permission to take the cry of your heart to God. Or maybe you just need someone to tell you what to pray these days because you're out of words. Well, that's why God gave us the Psalms. At the heart of our Bible, we have 150 songs. Songs that teach us and sometimes force us to cry out to God. We expect these songs uh, to be very careful and to be very cautious and what they say and express to a holy God. You would expect that, but that's not actually what we have. The Psalms are way messier than that. They show us how to express our unfiltered joy. They show us how to express our unfiltered anger and fear to God. Uh, But that's not all. We're even encouraged uh, to express our disappointment with God. This is called lament. Author Jen Pollock-Michel says, Most psalms are not tame and tidy and tepid. Instead, they read like nasty letters to the editor. That is complaint, to be sure, but it is also the persistence of faith that hounds God until he answers. Do you think hounding God is off limits this morning? Well, the psalms of lament are going to challenge you here, especially today's psalm. Psalm 88 is not quoted on many coffee cups. I've not, to date, seen Psalm 88 on any bumper stickers of a car. And that's because on the surface, Psalm 88 does not seem to offer encouragement. But God saw to it that this song would be on the lips of his people. Why? Why? That's the question we have this morning. Let me just first read, and you can follow along. This is God's Word. A song. A psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to Mahalath Leonoth, a masculine of Haman the Ezraite. Verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. 
You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in, so I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my suffer your terrors, I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Lord, would the words of my mouth and with the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to open our hearts and set them on fire again. Give us true faith if we don't have it. Give us passion for you if we don't have it. And make these very words from you come alive in power in our life this morning. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a long time ago, I was having breakfast with a friend at a Greasy Spoon diner, and we would regularly meet and we would laugh, but sometimes we would lay on the table our deepest sorrows. And this was one of those times. My friend told me a very sad story that was unfolding in his life. And at the moment when things looked the darkest, at the moment when things looked the bleakest, his story ended. No resolution and no closure. To be honest, at that stage in my life, I couldn't bear that. I needed a silver lining. I needed some kind of resolution, but it didn't come. And so what did I try to do? I tried to provide it for him. And again, this is less for him as it was for me. I couldn't stand the sad ending. And then my friend said, Joe, I didn't tell you this so that you would make it okay. I told you so that I wouldn't be alone. Please just listen. But that is so difficult. We all want resolution. We want it in our lives. We want it in others' lives. And just the other day, our home group, we were just talking about this, about how movies sometimes end badly. And what we meant by badly, of course, was that movies that end without the complete and total resolution that we all long for and that we all desire. There's this amazing video on YouTube. It's called... If Pixar movies ended at the sad parts, it plays the most heart-wrenching part of, let's say, Toy Story. And then it immediately, like right when the tears are flowing, and you know that part, immediately then just cuts to the credits. It does this with Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, and Inside Out. And each time you laugh, it's so abrupt, and it feels so wrong. The credits come too soon. Well, I think Psalm 88 has the same effect on us. The credits come too soon, don't they? I mean, just look again with me. The psalmist cries out in verses 1 and 2, day and night, and yet is answered in verses 3 through 9 with darkness. Verse 9, my eye grows dim through sorrow. 
And then verse 9, he cries out again. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. And there he is yet again answered in verses 10 through 12 with darkness. And then in verse 13, he cries out again. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. And you would expect if you've been reading the Psalms and if you know how the Psalms go, you would expect at this point, finally, in the third cry, verse 13, this is when it turns around. This is when the light comes. But he is answered yet again in verses 13 through 18 with darkness. And so the NIV translates the psalmist's final final words. Darkness is my closest friend. And in the Hebrew, the very last word of this prayer of this song is darkness and that's it roll the credits it's shocking really old testament scholar Derek kidner says it perfectly there's no sadder psalm in the psalter and he goes on to ask why on earth would god keep this song in his songbook Why does he want his people singing and praying this song, this prayer? I mean, he could have easily scrapped this in the editing process, or at the very least sent it back to the writing room for a better ending. But God insists that Psalm 88 is in your Bible. Why? Why does he want it in your Bible? Why does he want it in your life and in your heart? Three reasons. We'll look through each of them. In turn, the first is this psalm opens our eyes to what? Well, first, the reality of this broken world that we live in. Psalm 88 opens our eyes to brokenness. Scholar Alec Motier points out how everywhere this psalmist looks is broken. If he looks upward to God, he thinks he sees wrath. If he looks inward, what does he see? He sees terror. If he looks outward, he sees betrayal. And if he looks forward, all he sees is darkness. This is life east of Eden. In the Garden, in the Garden of Eden, our parents were deeply known and deeply loved, not just with each other, but also with their maker. And once sin came into the picture, so did shame, and so did death, and so did every other jacked up thing that we've experienced in this broken world. And everything really that this psalm expresses, in fact, this psalm is the soundtrack to Genesis 3. The chapter where sin enters this world and makes a mess of everything. And so when we pray this psalm, when we sing this psalm, it's opening our eyes to the reality of the fall. Uh, We're giving the fall its proper due. As Bob Dylan says, everything is broken. Old Testament scholar Richard Pratt says that we should all pray with our eyes open. Our eyes need to be open as we're praying. It's a great, it's a great uh, image. Our eyes need to be open. Open to what? Open to reality. As we bring our request to God. 
open to reality, to injustice, to brokenness, to our own sin. But too often, what do we do? We do the opposite. We close our eyes to the brokenness of the world out there and the world in here. But this psalm will not let us close our eyes, will it? It won't. Have you seen those old cartoons where they have clothespins on the eyelids to keep the eyes open because they're so sleepy? That's essentially what this psalm does and how it functions in the life of the believer. It's a clothespin on the eyelid. And it says, look. Just look. It's there. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. And so it opens our eyes to the reality of brokenness. It also opens our eyes to the ugliness of death. Verses 10 through 12 is less a theological treatise on the afterlife and more a poetic howl against the trauma and the wrongness of death. And so just take a look at verses 10 through 12. From our human perspective, the psalmist teaches us to sing that death steals, death severs, death silences. It's a howl. Death is terrible. It just is. And the promise of resurrection and the promise of of an immediate presence of Jesus is obviously great comfort, but they comfort. Why? Because death is wrong. It's just inherently not the way it's supposed to be. It's wrong. Even the New Testament, which stands on the other side of Jesus' life and ministry and resurrection, calls death the last enemy, the final enemy. When Jesus returns and makes all things new and our bodies are resurrected, then our last enemy is defeated. And this psalm helps us keep that point of view in a culture even a church culture that wants to ignore and downplay the trauma of death. And it makes us long for resurrection. And so it opens our eyes to the ugliness of death. And then it opens our eyes to the danger of the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is a shorthand for the idea that if you have enough faith God will only give you good things in life. Which also means, conversely, that when bad things happen in your life, it is you have enough faith. So the teaching goes. And this psalm is an alert to such dangerous teaching. Teaching that equates God to a giant vending machine, essentially, that kicks out sweet candy if you insert enough faith into the coin slot. And if you don't get the sweet candy, it must mean you didn't drop enough faith coins in the slot. It must mean something's wrong with you. It must mean you didn't do the right thing or you did the wrong thing. But this psalm shows us that you can have strong faith. In fact, the strongest faith in my mind, and we'll get into this, is displayed in this psalm. And yet not experience light at the end of the tunnel in this prayer. We can say amen and still feel like we're in the dark. And that's not because God is mad at you. This psalm is a stick of dynamite to the false promises of prosperity. 
this psalm opens our eyes to the reality that verses 17 and 18 might be how your prayers end in this season. Even as you stand in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus and the fatherly love of God. And it's not because you did anything wrong, but because this world is shattered and stands to be redeemed. That's what Psalm 88 presents to us. It's not that easy. And so some of you are are suffering under a double burden this morning. The darkness you feel in nagging idea that you don't have enough faith where that darkness would lift. That's a double burden. Well, allow God's own word to dispel that lie. It's simplistic. It doesn't square with what we're reading this morning. And don't tell others who are having a hard time that they must have done something wrong. At that moment, you're in the company of Job's miserable comforters who had simplistic answers to deep, mysterious suffering. God has us sing this song in order to open our eyes. A few weeks ago, we received a Staples scratch-off promo. I've never won anything more than like a McDonald's large french fry with these things, um, and so I've stopped scratching. But Josie scratched, and she won $100 to Staples, and we our minds were blown. And so she tries to buy uh, something awesome on their website, uh, AirPods, but got rejected. And so when I, then I try to you know buy a Kindle, an Amazon Kindle, with that same money, and I got rejected. And so I turned over this card to see uh, what the small print says, and it basically says, here's your $100, excluding this, excluding this, excluding this, excluding this, and on and on and on and on and on the exclusions went. And so at the end, I flipped it over, and I said, this is misleading. This is misleading. And... Uh, and it made me not want to go to Staples. It had the opposite effect of what I think the scratch-off promo was trying to do. And this is how we are tempted to view the Christian faith and even the church, isn't it? We say, all blessings and no struggles, come on in. And then the minute we encounter deep darkness, we, we say, wait, what happened? What happened to the promo? What happened? See, people have called this theology of glory. All glory and no cross. No cross to bear. And when we bypass and even erase the cross, and we do so in order to get a crown, but that crown is cheap, and it's not the real thing. See, we bear a cross, and singing this psalm will usher us into that reality, what one scholar calls spiritual realism. Spiritual realism tells it like it is in the kingdom of God, and importantly, allows others to tell it like it is. And when our eyes are open, I think to this, two things will happen. We will resist easy answerism. Easy answerism. God allows for mystery, especially when it comes to suffering. And so we are compelled by God's own word to resist easy answers. And we become quick to listen, quick to weep with those who are weeping. Our presence becomes more important than our easy answers. 
And I think we will also resist at leastism, at leastism, easy answerism, and at leastism. At leastism is when we say, well, at least after somebody's voiced their cry, like Psalm 88. Psalm 88 in the ending, verse 18, and then the very following Psalm 89 teaches us to resist at leastism. So this psalm opens our eyes. Secondly, though, this psalm's our heart. Psalm 88 is in God's songbook because it will open our eyes, but it will also soften our hearts to others and to God. The psalm softens our hearts to other people's suffering. This psalm may not be our story. It may not be your story this morning. And you might even be tempted to tune out and to turn off. Because you're simply thinking, this isn't my story. This is too dark. I don't want to go there. But someone you know is there. And if you don't think so, it's possible you haven't been listening. There are people who can relate, relate deeply to verse 1. I am crying out day and night. And what is left over from the phrase day and night? Nothing. Nothing is left over. It's their excruciating experience of having relentless pain and struggle. There is no peace of mind. Or verse 18, darkness all around. So instead of skipping this psalm, which, which we might be tempted to do, what we can do is we can pray this psalm empathetically with others for whom this is their heart cry. We can pray with them, and we can pray for them using these very words. Ephesians 5.19 says, Address one another with psalms. Address one another in psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So did you catch that? We don't just sing to God and for ourselves. We sing, we sing to others and with others. When I was a new Christian, I was told to read the Psalms and pray them. The problem was, as I flipped through the Psalms, I couldn't find one that fit my experience perfectly, and so I didn't. I didn't. But I had it backwards, you see. The Psalms enable me to pray with others who are feeling this way, and it softens my heart towards their experience. And so it softens our hearts towards others. It also, though, softens our hearts to God himself. Don't skip the titles in the Psalms, and in particularly this Psalm. It says, I mean, this, the titles are themselves inspired. This one says, A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, to the choir master according to the Mahalath Leonoth, a maskil of Haman the Ezraite. Haman, you want me to say He-Man, I know you do, but it's Haman the Ezraite. Haman was the leader of a worship guild called the sons of Korah who composed Psalms 42 through 49, Psalm 84 and Psalm 87, which many Christians say are, for them, the richest and most beloved Psalms that we have. Generations, think about this, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years of believers across the world have been singing and praying Haman's songs. Why? Haman 
and his heart was made soft to God. Not in spite of his dark night of the soul, but exactly because of the dark night of his soul. Recently, I was talking about the ancient Japanese art of Kintsugi. In the words of Glenn Packiam, quote, Kintsugi means golden joinery. It's the art of joining broken pieces of pottery with a liquid resin that resembles gold. And the result is a bowl or vase that is more beautiful, more aesthetically complex, and more valuable than the original piece. And he goes on, quote, The new piece with golden seams became so popular among Japanese art collectors in the 15th century that some were even accused of purposefully breaking pottery in order to repair it with gold. This is a beautiful picture of how this psalm works. It's the cry of a shattered heart, but that heart is held together with gold. And so it is more complex, more beautiful, and more tender to God and to others because of it. So we pray this psalm, and it will soften our hearts to other sufferings and to God himself. And this is the invitation from God to share your pain and to feel the freedom to roll the credits early in faith. Which brings us to our final point, really. This psalm opens our eyes, it softens our hearts, but finally it toughens our faith. The psalm ends in darkness, but it isn't despair. Why? Because two words in verse 1. O Lord. Those two words are scandalous in this psalm. Because what we have here is a prayer in the darkness. We may read this and we think, it's all darkness, it's all darkness, but that's not quite true. It's a prayer in darkness. And the prayers in the dark are tougher than the prayers in the light. And some of you who are praying in the dark right now need to hear that. Yours is the tough faith of Job. Yours is the tough faith of Jacob as he wrestles with the Lord for his promised blessing. And so how does this psalm and singing this psalm toughen our faith? Well, number one, it trains us to say amen in the dark. This psalm teaches us to keep wrestling, to keep praying, even when everything around you seems unresponsive. It teaches us to tell God about our struggle, to tell God even about the dark. Verse 1 and 2, and verse 9, and verse 13, are bold invitations to tell God about your misery. Maybe you think you need to feel settled to pray. No, tell God about your unsettled heart. That's what Psalm 88 tells you to do. It trains our souls to say amen in the dark, but also trains our souls to love God for, for, for God himself. I love what Pastor Tim Keller says, quote, prayers in the dark are more victorious than they look. Satan told God that no one serves him unless they are getting something out of it. But here we see a man praying and serving God for nothing. So Satan is defeated. Whenever you pray in the dark, you are winning a battle. A spiritual battle. You're showing Satan that when God is all you have, he is indeed all you need. And thirdly, it trains our souls to long for resurrection and to see Jesus. 
the only satisfying answer to this psalm is the promise of resurrection and the promise of new creation in the face of Jesus himself. Romans 8.22, I'll just quote it. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning. That's Psalm 88, groaning. The whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. Think of it. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even though we have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly the adoption of sons. The redemption of what? Of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, but for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, a tough faith knows what to trust in. Time and experience has whittled away all your false trusts. That's a tough faith. Maybe it was your job. Maybe it was your marriage, your success, your beauty, your health. Well, this psalm teaches us and trains us to know that the only trustworthy thing that we have in life is Jesus. Jesus faced the darkness of Psalm 88 head on. The deafening silence of God on the cross. God, the why for you. Jesus, who faced the real wrath of God, not the imagined wrath in Psalm 88, where this psalmist assumes God is wrathful on him. In Jesus, Jesus actually experienced the wrath of God on the cross. Why? So that you will never have to, ever. Jesus lived this psalm. He didn't just sing it and know it and memorize it. He also lived it as the man of sorrows. Why? So that darkness would not have the final, final word in your life. Darkness may have the final word in a prayer, but not your life because of his resurrection. See, when you hear Jesus singing this sad psalm, you are reminded in that moment that ultimately the psalms end in praise. Jesus is the light of of the world who shines in the dark. And perhaps we have too much light pollution to see him. I want us to allow this dark season to draw you to him, to see him as the light. And so, Lord, we do that now. We ask that our eyes would adjust in the darkness so that we could see Jesus. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.